Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We have been spending time in the last several programs looking at the gospel of the kingdom and specifically we're focusing on what is the kingdom? What what describes, what makes up this kingdom that Jesus promised to the Israelites the first time? And again, I want to make the uh, the point up front uh, again to for emphasis this kingdom will be offered again. When Jesus turned his back on Israel after they denied his offer of the kingdom the first time, that offer was not done away with. That offer was merely postponed, and it will be offered again. And we're making the cases here as we've been looking at Luke chapter 1. So if you would, go in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, where we have been looking at a prophecy that Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, had been given by God through the Holy Spirit. And we see that in verse 67, where it says that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're seeing that this promise of the kingdom is an eternal promise. Now, it's obviously been broken up because of unbelief, but through the um, through the tribulation, and that's the primary purpose of that seven-year terrible tribulation, is to bring the nation of Israel to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They are saved. Uh, Israel is saved individually just the way every member of the church is saved. It's, it's through a faith in Jesus Christ. There are no separate covenants. There are no separate gospels that deal just with, with Israel as it regards salvation, it's all the same faith in Jesus Christ. We need to always keep that in mind, that Jesus is the focus all the way through the Bible. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, one, one person said one time, it's actually his story. History is his story, and indeed it is, if we simply let the scriptures uh, be read literally and don't let man put wild interpretations on what they think it means. Just let it let it read out for itself. And we have been going through some foundational understandings of what is this promised kingdom that Jesus talked about. And we were in Luke chapter 1, as I said, with Zacharias, and we had been focusing on verses 72 and 73 over the last several programs to show some of the Old Testament foundational understandings we talked about the mercy uh, toward our fathers that would be brought forward, both uh, the, the promises, the truth that had been spoken to Jacob. And when we see Jacob, it means the 12 tribes, remember. And that has not been the case since the 900s B.C. and will not be the case until Jesus comes back and brings the 12 tribes back together again. And we see that, for instance, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 as an example. So the promises to uh, Jacob, the promises to Abraham. Then in verse uh, 72, the second line, to remember his holy covenant. 
And we've spent several um, programs here looking at Genesis, the covenant that God, the unilateral, the one-way covenant. Covenants are always two-way, two parties involved, and it's very serious with great serious consequences for violation of the covenant. But in this particular case, as we saw in Genesis 15, that you see in your um, worksheet notes there, the Scriptures, Genesis 15, that this was a one-way covenant, that God was promising the land to Israel as an everlasting, eternal possession. And, of course, that goes in the face of what uh, the world is telling us, that the land that is called Israel today does not belong to the Israelites. The Israelites never possessed it. It belongs to the Arabs and so forth and so on. That's all a political issue, and it's all a big lie because we have the Scriptures here, and we have the firsthand account (laughs) from the firsthand person, which is God. God gave that land to Abraham. He gave it to the nation of Israel for an eternal possession, and it even tells you the dimensions by giving you some geographic perspective there in Genesis chapter 15. And then we went into Genesis 17 to build on that one, to show that the everlasting love that God has for Abraham and by extension and through Abraham, his love for the Israelite people. And it also is another statement. You know, we have the the statement in Genesis uh, chapter 12, I believe it's verse 3, where it says, the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And that's restated again in Genesis 17 that we read in our last program where the peoples, the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. And there are some uh, secondary meanings there that we can trace through Zechariah and so forth, but the primary, the primary meaning of that is obviously the, the, the single most important Jew that ever lived, and that's Jesus, that the world would be blessed through Jesus uh, that came from the lineage of uh, Abraham and specifically through his son Isaac. And that's what we want to talk about as we get into the next um, portion of our teaching here about the kingdom and looking specifically at this covenant that Zechariah prophesies about in Luke chapter uh, 1 in verse 73. So if we look at 73, verse 73, it says, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, the oath that he swore to Abraham our father. And we find that in Genesis chapter 22. So let's go way back in our Bible to the beginning again, to Genesis. We've been in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 as we've talked about the specifics of the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, And now we want to get into a very personal time in Abraham's life. And before I read this, I want to make a point very clear because it's easy to take what I'm going to read here a little bit out of context, and people will say that our faith, that our salvation is works-based, and it couldn't be further from the truth. And the reason, the, the way I want to make that point clear here, here is we're going to be talking about Abraham taking his son Isaac to be sacrificed because God has told him to do that, to take his only son and sacrifice him. And we're seeing the faith of Abraham here. 
But I want you to understand that before Abraham ever did this, God told Abraham that his faith, Abraham's faith, was counted as righteousness. Abraham was counted as righteous before he ever did this, uh, an amazing uh, act of sacrificial love with his son Isaac. So he had already been counted as righteous. We will see Abraham, obviously. He's an Old Testament saint. You and I will see him at the... um, the wedding feast after we're resur- as, as after we are raptured to heaven and married to Jesus as the church we will then see these wonderful old testament saints and we'll be able as it says literally to sit down at the table with them so you can imagine this this wonderful time and what i believe is not the too distant future when we as the church will be able to sit down it says with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the great people of the Old Testament that were counted as righteous and were resurrected right at the second coming when all the Old Testament saints are resurrected. We find that in Daniel 12, by the way, Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2, that we'll be able to sit down and talk with them. And we'll ask them all about this. This I think it's just going to be a one—I don't have to think. I know it's going to be a wonderful time. But I wanted to establish the point that God counted Abraham— as righteous through simply through his faith, his belief in what God told him was all done, accomplished, solidified before he ever took upon uh, himself this wonderful sacrificial act of, of Isaac. So um, let's go into Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And the first verse says that now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. So God had counted Abraham as as righteous, as I've been saying, and now he's going to test him. And he tells him to take your son, verse 2, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and that's where the temple mount is. The temple mount is today in old Jerusalem. That's the mount. There's seven mounds or hills in Jerusalem, and one of those is Mount Moriah. It's right across the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives, and in the other direction to the west is the Mount of Zion. But this is Mount Moriah. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you, and of course that's Moriah. And he's he's, uh, very willing to do that, And in verse 4, it says, On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. So they left in southern Israel. If you were looking at a map of Israel, they left from Beersheba, which is where they lived at the time. And it was a three-day journey up to what we know today as Jerusalem. Uh, Back then, it was called Jebus. It was the home of the Jebusites that we read about in Genesis 15 here a few programs ago. The Jebusites lived there. They were Canaanite people. And he went there, and on the third day, as it says, and I'm just paraphrasing here, he told the people that came with them that the boy and I, Isaac and his father Abraham, were going to go up to the mountain and sacrifice to God and that we, plural, would be back. In other words, he believed before he ever undertook the act of sacrificing Isaac to God that God would resurrect Isaac 
or in some way uh, maintain his life. So he goes up there with the boy. The boy carries the wood because he's the young, probably a young teenager at this time. Goes up there with Abraham. Abraham prepares to sacrifice him. They literally build an altar, put the wood on it. He binds Isaac, lays him on the altar, and lifts the knife to kill his son. And God stops him. God stops him. And now we come to the verses that I have uh, pointed out that are the key, and that's verses 15 to 18. So Genesis chapter 2, excuse me, Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 to 18. So starting at verse 15, then the angel of the Lord, so remember, the angel of the Lord, so this is the pre-incarnate Christ as a key angel speaking on behalf of God because he is God. This angel is God. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. So God is swearing by himself because he can do that. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Verse 18, in your seed, here it is, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So the promise had already been made to Abraham earlier in Genesis 15 and 17 that we read, and of course you see those scriptures on your worksheet, about the land and the fact that God would bless him. But now he's tested Abraham. He's tested Abraham in this particular passage, and Abraham was willing to follow God in faith to the extent of killing his own son, Isaac. And remember, Isaac is the bloodline through whom Jesus would come. Abraham had other sons, but it was Isaac through whom the seed, the promised seed, would come that would be Jesus. In fact, when it says in verse 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, I want to step back here just a moment and to show you God's wonderful grace in how this whole thing was set up between uh, God, Abraham, and Isaac. And I want, and because he talks about you, because of this, the world will be blessed through your seed. And it's talking about Jesus. And I want to take just a moment here and look at the parallels between Isaac, who, G, uh, who Abraham was willing and ready to sacrifice, between Isaac and Jesus. And if you look at the verbiage there, for instance, in verse 2, take your son. So you can imagine God saying this. I took my son, my only son, in whom I love, Jesus, and offer him there as a burnt offering. What Abraham was prepared to do and went all the way up to the point of holding the knife up above his son is exactly what God fulfilled completely through Jesus. So you see in the parallel passages of looking at Isaac and and, um, Abraham 
and Jesus and God, you see a love of the Father in both cases for their Son, their only Son. Both God and Abraham were willing to offer their only Son up to sacrifice. Very, very similar wording here between God and Abraham. And then when you get to the very specifics of of the act, Isaac carried the wood from the mount where they were looking down on Mount Moriah and where they told the, the servants with them, the boy and I are going to sacrifice and we'll be back. Isaac carried the wood. Jesus carried his wooden cross up to the mount, to the same mount where he would be crucified. Both Isaac was to be crucified on Mount Moriah where the temple is. Jesus was crucified there. They both carried their own wood on which they would be sacrificed. And then the interesting thing is Jesus was raised on the third day. Jesus was raised on the third day after his crucifixion. If you look at the account that we've just read here in Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham, take your son to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. Mount Moriah, as we read here, was a three-day journey. At the end of that third day, after they had arrived in the area, and after they had gone up on the mount, on the same Mount Moriah where Jesus would be sacrificed, Isaac was saved. Isaac was saved by God, and that act was an act of testing that Abraham passed with, to use the vernacular, with flying colors. So we see these wonderful parallels in this passage, and that shouldn't be lost on us because God does that all the way through his scriptures. What he tells us in the what we would think of as the deep, distant past, God is showing, one, his omniscience, that he knows everything. He knows the end of all things from the beginning because he created everything. And if you take the time to slowly go through the Old Testament scriptures and let the Holy Spirit teach you these things, you can see these wonderful parallels. Uh, You see even more parallels when you see the account of Joseph in Egypt. There's over 70 parallels between Joseph's life and the life of Jesus. God wants us to see that he knew how this would all work out, which is yet future to us. He he has seen how this is all going to work out, and he sees how each person is going to play a role in that. What a wonderful confidence that it gives the person who takes the time to study the Bible. And of course, in order to do this effectively, you have to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And at the salvation point, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that leads you into this um, deeper and deeper understanding because we're learning all the time. And I, I just count it as a, as a privilege to be able to learn with you as we go through this exploring Bible prophecy to understand these wonderful truths. Okay, we're going to finish up in Luke chapter 1 in our next teaching portion, but we need now to move on as we always do to our Q&A. And we want to uh, spend our last... Um, program answering this question, does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end-time events? And the answer is it has everything 
to do with it because he uh, Israel is the wife of God and God loves his wife eternally even though she has been very difficult a very difficult wife over the uh, many thousands of years uh, well what is that now two three thousand years basically 3,500 years that um, Israel has been a nation and we were in Jeremiah Jeremiah is a wonderful passage in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and that's where we finished last time uh, as we just began to look at that, and I want to see if we can finish that today because there's a just a few passages there that are really what I want to focus on uh, as we understand how important Israel is to God. And of course, understanding these scriptures, knowing where to find these scriptures is so important because today, if you believe as I, as I do anyway, that Israel has a very, very important role to play in God's future plans. Uh, as a matter of fact, they are going to be the, the central focus of God's plans going forward. It's not the church. The church is very important because we are the bride of Christ. We are waiting for Christ as our bridegroom to come and get his bride to get us and take us to heaven where he's going to marry us. That's called the rapture of the church. And he's going to do that to take us out of the way because we have fulfilled a 2,000-year purpose on this earth, and that is to one, Romans 11.11 tells you that the church, the purpose of the church was to make Israel jealous because they had been given the offer of the kingdom 2,000 years ago. They refused that. So God, through Jesus, turned his attention away from Israel to the church to show Israel through the church what it would be like if they had accepted Jesus. So it's taken 2,000 years. In fact, it's going to take Jesus taking the church off the earth and turning his attention fully back to Israel and taking them through a seven-year horrible tribulation to finally bring them to a saving knowledge of who he is as their Messiah. And they do that. We've talked about that many times here. They finally do see him, and that's what ushers in the the, um, thousand-year millennial kingdom with Israel as the focus. We come back with Christ in our glorified bodies to rule over and reign Israel in the millennial kingdom and the Gentiles on a global basis. We're going to, it's over the earth. I don't want to get that mixed up with the fact that David will be resurrected and will once again be king over Israel. The apostles, the 12 apostles from the time of Christ will be resurrected in their bodies and they will rule over the individual 12 tribes, each one over a tribe, as it tells us in Matthew, will happen. But Jesus will be king of kings and Lord of lords over Israel and over the whole world. And it says that the church will rule and reign with him in our glorified eternal bodies. The Jews and Gentiles on the earth will not have eternal bodies. They will ultimately die at some point during that thousand-year reign. It says they'll live for hundreds and hundreds of years during that, that reign because Satan and his sinful nature will be in a pit. But nevertheless... There will be death on the earth because it's not the perfect state yet. That doesn't happen until after the millennial kingdom, after all sin is judged at the great white throne judgment that we find in Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 11, I believe. So 
there is a period of time where the focus is going to be primarily on Israel on the earth. And I want us to see that as we look at Jeremiah 31. And as we started in our last program in the Q&A portion, we started with verse 31 as kind of an overview to show you that this is a yet future event, future from today, because he says it's going to be a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And again, as we've said many, many times, when you see Israel and Judah, that means two separate kingdoms. And those two separate kingdoms came into existence right after Solomon died, which was over a thousand, it was basically just short of a thousand years before Christ ever walked the earth. So to us, it's been almost 3,000 years since Israel and Judah were together in what's called Jacob. So it's the time when Jacob is going to uh, be preeminent. All 12 tribes will come back together. And we know from the scriptures that that doesn't happen until Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation in what is called his second coming. And he says he's going to make a new covenant with them, and he's going to put a new heart in them, and they will no longer have to teach each other about God because they'll all know all of their sins, all their iniquity will will be forgiven. And then I want us to get to verse 35, 35 through 37. And I want you to see the absolutely absolute love that God has for his wife, Israel. Verse 35, <clears throat> thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day. In other words, backing out here, God has created everything. That includes the universe and everything at night when you have a clear night and the light is not uh, um, obstructing your view of, of the stars and the planets. You can see how magnificent and how expansive that creation is. He made all of that. And he's making the point here in verse 35, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now look here, verse 36. If this fixed order departs, in other words, the sun giving light and the moon and the stars giving light by night and the seas roaring when he commands them to, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, verse 37, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, which they can't be, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. So what is he saying here? He's saying that the sun will stop shining, the stars will stop giving their light, the moon will stop reflecting the, the sun's light, the waves will stop roaring, that all of this will stop before I'll ever forget Israel. So hopefully you see that. I mean, this is why I wanted to end with this as we talk about how important Israel is, particularly as we go forward, because God's going to turn his full attention back to Israel in the tribulation and then the judgments and then bless them in the millennial kingdom. And he says that everything he's created will go away before I'll ever forget Israel. Praise God 
for his love for Israel. Because if he loves Israel that much, how much more does he love his church through Jesus Christ? Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.